right. I need my Bible. Here I am. We're doing it. You know, we've been doing a series on the book of Ephesians, which we finished last week. And we've enjoyed that series on the book of Ephesians. And uh, last week, Al McNichol spoke and got us to the point in Ephesians chapter 6, right towards the end of the letter, where it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then it goes on to describe the armor of God and how a battle is fought. So, Uh, What we're going to be doing this morning, starting this morning, and right up to Palm Sunday, just before Easter, is we're going to be thinking about different aspects of the spiritual battle that we face. That might be a new way of thinking about things for you, I don't know, to think that there's a spiritual battle, but there is, and it's very real. Uh, In the coming weeks, we're going to look at um, how miracles take place going to think about the place of fasting. Well, it is Lent, and some of you will have given up chocolate, but beyond that, um, there's even more fasting that might be done and attached to prayer to see some things change spiritually. And we're going to be looking at the kind of um, fixed patterns of thinking in our minds, which the Bible describes as strongholds, and which can stand against God, and are also part of that spiritual battle. So that's a a bit of what's coming up. Uh, But this morning, we're going to start... Uh, by talking about money. Thank you. In another letter that was written to Ephesus, Paul's letter to Timothy, the first one that he wrote when Timothy was in Ephesus and leading the church there, uh, he wrote to Timothy that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, we need to hear this verse closely It's not that money is the root of all kinds of evil, but the love of money. And neither is it the case that the love of money is the root of all evil, but it is is the root of all kinds of evil. There's all manner of things that spill out from this love of money. I found this picture whilst preparing. Helps if I turn it on. Uh, I don't know whether any of you ever feel like there's something inside you for those who are listening online, there's a picture of somebody running after money that they're never going to catch. I don't know whether for any of you, uh, money feels a bit like this in your life, that there's an urge to do things to get hold of money, but that that urge never comes to an end. Few of you are nodding. This is something, what it feels like to have a love of money. Jesus said some things about money, and here's what he said is recorded in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin don't destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. 
Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What we see from these verses, and I hope to draw out in this picture as well, is that our trouble with money isn't just out there somewhere like other people haven't yet given us enough of it. The trouble that we have with money is internal to us. The spiritual battle that we face is a matter of the heart. The problem is not money per se. The problem is a love of money, which is a a matter of the heart. And this is a battle with the root of all kinds of evil. It's a battle in our hearts. So what I'm going to do this morning is just highlight some things that you will, I am sure, recognize are temptations and dangers for us in our own hearts. Some heart diseases, if you like. And uh, then we're going to pray about those. And my strong expectation is that because of our praying this morning, and actually because of some repenting that goes on, we'll get to that later, that there will be change. And there will be people who will look back to this morning and say, something shifted for me in my relationship with money that morning. And because of this morning, life will never be quite the same again. Something will change for the good and for the long haul. For the good in the sense of for the better and for good in the sense of for the long haul as well. That's what I'm expecting. So here's the first thing about greed. Now this is a, there's a video in this slide, so I'm hoping this is going to work. We need to acknowledge that we have a challenge with greed and there's going to be some movement here. <laughs> it's pretty impressive, huh? Happy birthday to me! Um, no, 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 ah, oh, no, 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 ah, 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 And for some of us, that is very much directed towards cookies themselves. Uh, But in fact, we all all have a battle with greed. There is a straight-up desire in us for more, which says that however much... If we're asked, how much money do we need, rather than simply sticking a number on that, if we're more honest, we just say, more. And whatever point we get to, and however much money we might have at our disposal, our desire is that we would have, we would have more. We're, we're not satisfied. Some of you will have um, gone through, it's normal going through life to experience having more money at our disposal as we get older and have more skills and have more um, a, ability to, to earn money. Um, but there are also seasons of life when sometimes our income goes down. And any of you who've been through a season in which your income has gone down will know how very, very difficult that is. Even if two or three years previously you were living at that level of income, uh, the journey towards learning how to spend more money was very straightforward. (laughs) 
But the journey back towards learning to spend less is very difficult. (laughs) Even though you were doing it perfectly well and living perfectly well a few years previously on that level of income. And there's a spiritual dynamic at work here. There's something that constrains our freedom. We find it easy to go with the flow of more and difficult to live with less. The Bible describes this as greed. And this next slide, you probably can't see the numbers on it very easily, but let me draw your attention. This is about the last 20 years and the amount of unsecured debt per household in the UK. So 20 years ago, the unsecured debt per household was about £2,500. It's now about £15,000 per household on average. So what's happened in the last 20 years as people have spent more money than they have available to them. That's what greed does to us. I have teenage daughters, well, one teenage daughter, and therefore have a passing acquaintance with Ariana Grande, (laughs) whose song says, uh, whoever said money can't solve your problems must not have had enough money to solve them. They say, which one? I say, nah, I want all of them. I want it. I got it. You've heard this on the radio. Don't look at me like you haven't. I I can't sing. I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to sing it. There are other people's songs I might sing. This one is well beyond me. I'm sorry. Does someone else want to have a go? No? There's there's no no one? Oh, well, okay. Um, I want it. I got it. I want it, I got it. I see it, I like it, I want it, I got it. That's, what, that's greed at play, right? And as Christians, we understand that God provides for us. And so he knows what we need and gives us what we need. So another way of describing greed is thinking that we know better than God what it is that we need. Greed says that we need more than God thinks we need. And so there's this aching for more than we have. That's one thing. Uh, Another challenge that we have is envy, which isn't just about, it's not just about wanting more, it's about wanting whatever it is that other people have. Uh, I don't know if you heard in the news a little while ago, there was um, a, a Labour MP from somewhere in the Midlands who said, in a debate in Parliament that she thought she knew what posh meant until she went to Westminster and then she discovered that the people that she had thought were posh were just people who ate olives. (laughs) There's always someone further up the scale. Had a conversation with someone once whose daughter was a student in Oxford And what he told me resonated with some of my experience as a student in Oxford. His daughter had, and this was a vicar working on a social housing estate, running a parish there. And his children would come home in the holidays and help with the work of the, the parish, serving the needs of this social housing estate. And so his daughter said to a friend at the end of term, I'm going back in the holiday to work on the estate. (laughs) and the friend said that's very odd why don't you have people to work it for you (laughs) 
uh, as they went back to their country estate, which would be manned with a good team of their employees. There's always someone a little bit further up the pile than us. And I don't know what it is for you, but there are all kinds of things that somehow get into us and aggravate desire when we see other people having them. Um, For you, it might be other people's houses, their cars, their gadgets, uh, their haircut. You might think, well, nice that they've got the money to get that done. Uh, Their shoes, I don't know what it is. It's funny, isn't it? We can't always predict it ourselves, but we see something that someone else has got and some sense of unfairness and resentment, ugly though it is, rises up in us. We go, blimey, it's that there? And what that envy does is it crowds out love for the person towards whom we're envious. We're no longer thinking about their good. That's, that's got crowded out. And so a love of money has taken the place of love of people. And if we're honest, these are just some of the things that happen in us. We don't go looking for them. We don't wake up in the morning thinking, I think I've been too godly recently. I'm going to be more envious today. And no one does that. It springs up in us, and it's a battle that we face. Here's another thing. Uh, Anxiety. Not having uh, peace of mind about provision. Uh, In the last few years, this kind of anxiety around money has shaped political debate. Uh, Perhaps it always has. The Leave and Remain campaigns in the Brexit referendum both played on people's anxieties. The Leave campaign played on the anxiety that the EU wasted our money. We sent the money away, those people wouldn't care about us, and it wouldn't be spent on things that did us any good, and we wouldn't have enough, and life wouldn't be what it should. The Remain campaign played on the fear that the economy would tank if we left the EU and we wouldn't have enough money for what we need. And though there were occasionally noble attempts to raise the level of debate above that kind of fear and anxiety, the politicians found that it was when they spoke of our fears and anxieties that they most got our attention and most motivated people to join in campaigning or to vote. Uh, when the, the, the last referendum before that took place, the one in Scotland around independence, there was a survey done that said, how would you vote? I mean, there were lots of polls done around how people would vote in the forthcoming independence referendum. One of them uh, did an interesting experiment, and it said, um, how would you vote if you knew for sure that you would be £1,000 better off after independence? or £500 better off after independence. How would you vote if you knew for a fact that you'd be £500 a year worse off after independence, and so on? And they tried to find the the amount of money that would be needed to swing the outcome to absolutely surely being one way or the other. And it turned out that the amount of money was around £500 a year. 
Though, in fact, no one was campaigning on that basis, really. It was all about heritage and togetherness and all sorts of other things. Um, there is a better way to live than with this kind of turmoil and anxiety around money. A few years ago, I spoke to a lady at the point of... She was just about to retire. A wonderful, wonderful Christian lady. She was about to retire into a retirement with next to no pension income and really with no idea as to how the household budget would work. And she said to me, with a smile in her eyes, I'm so looking forward to it, she said, I'm going to get to see how God provides for his children. It's, going to, it's like an adventure with God to see how he'll look after me. There's another way to live, which is not guided by greed or envy or by anxiety. These three things, they're heart diseases that leave us spiritually weak. They stoke the love of money, the root of all kinds of evil. Back to Ephesians again, because in Ephesians, there's a couple of verses that really helpfully describe for us how change takes place for us. And they go like this. You were taught, with regards to your former way of life, three things. One, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Two, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And three, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So there's three different things here that follow each other. Three steps that we're invited to take. The first is an invitation to repentance. Now, I don't know quite what the word repentance might sound like to you, but what the word means is simply turn around. Change your mind. You've been thinking one way. Resolve that going forward, you're going to think in a different way. That's what repentance means. And there's an invitation to repent of greed and envy and anxiety and say, well, yeah, it's true. I have thought in those ways, but I'm, I'm choosing to turn away from them. I'm going to put off that which has been corrupted by deceitful desires. And praise God, we can do that in our praying. And in a few minutes, I'm going to lead us through a prayer of repentance for greed and a prayer of repentance for envy, and a prayer of repentance for anxiety. I'm going to invite you to join in with those prayers. There's some words going to appear on the screen. Just invite us to turn away from those things. But that's not the end of the story. The second thing is to be made new. I love this turn of phrase because it makes it clear we can't make ourselves anew. We can't resurrect ourselves. We can't, re we can't renew ourselves. We can't even refurbish ourselves effectively. But God comes, and by his power, he will make us new. So the second thing, guess what? It's also about praying. But it's about inviting God to come and to do his work in us. Having turned away from things that we recognize do us ill, to invite him to come. 
and to make the changes that we can't. And then there's another thing still, which is what I'll get to before we're done, which is to put on the new self. That is, there are things for us to take up, and there are, there are new habits, new resolutions, new activities, which we're then free to embrace and to clothe ourselves in. So let's start at the beginning of these three things with some prayers. I'm going to put this up here and take just a minute to read that. This is a prayer, repenting of greed. I'm going to give you a moment to, to read it, and then I'm going to pray through it. And if you want to pray this, then we'll pray it together. Dear Father God, you have promised to satisfy my desires with good things, but I have preferred instead to give in to fleshly desires that war against my soul. I thank you that in Christ my sins are already forgiven. I come to you now to confess and to renounce my greedy desires for more than you give me. I turn to you. Strengthen me in my inner being by your Holy Spirit to be content with your provision to me and to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. This is good stuff. This is powerful. A prayer concerning envy. There we go. Dear Father God, I thank you for the riches of your kindness, goodness, and love towards me. I confess that I have not shown the same love towards others, but instead have been envious of their blessings and have held on to bitterness and resentment. I choose not to hold on to my envy. I thank you for setting me free from the bondage of bitterness. I ask you now to further bless the people whom I have envied. In Jesus' name, amen. And a prayer about anxiety. Dear Father God, I have believed that things other than you 
are the most powerful forces in my life. I know that this is offensive in your holy eyes, as you have commanded that I should worship you alone. I confess that I have not honoured or trusted you with all my heart and soul and mind. I repent of this idolatry and now choose to return to you my first love. Please reveal any and all idols in my life as I choose to renounce them. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. These are meaningful, weighty and significant words. And they cause something to happen in the spiritual battle that we face. I'm going to pray now for that renewing of all of our minds, which is a work of the Holy Spirit. I'd encourage you to hold out your hands or in some other way indicate your desire to receive God's work in your life. And I'm going to pray. Father God, we've lived, each one of us, for all of our days with these battles. And you know how often we've lost the battles and the damage that it's done to us, the damage it's done to our relationships, and the way in which the love of money has often led us away from you rather than towards you. Lord, thank you for helping us to turn around this morning. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would send your Holy Spirit and you would indeed renew our minds. Come now, I pray. Cleanse us, wash us with your word. Blow through us, mighty Spirit of God. And would even long-standing habits, things that have clawed at our hearts and held us fast. Would the power of those be broken now, I pray in Jesus' name. But I pray that the particular kinds of greed that surprise us, the things that we want that we think we can't live without, Lord, free us from that, I pray. That the next time we're in a shop and thinking of buying it again, we'd find we don't need to don't even want to, that in our relationships with people that have been poisoned by envy, Lord, we pray that you would come and give us such love for those people, such love that we would delight when they're blessed far beyond our our experience has ever gone. We might overflow with your graciousness and compassion. Father, I pray that you would place worship in our hearts We've sung this morning of exalting you and you're high above all other gods. Lord, may it be so. Help us, we pray. Renew us that we might be worshippers of the one true God. And may that be manifested in every area of life, including in what we do with our money. Pray it in Jesus' name. Lord, I do want to pray too for people for whom this whole discussion of money sparks turmoil in their thinking because there's turmoil in their lives and, and talking about it draws attention to all of that. And where it's, it's, it's a, there's despair, 
where people are bound up in what feels like a storm, Lord, I pray your peace in Jesus' name. Come, intervene on behalf of your people, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, putting off things, being renewed, and some things to put on. So, what I have now is a bunch of suggestions of things that you might find helpful. These are more born of my own experience of life and my walking as a pastor with other people and seeing what's been helpful to other people. Uh, Some of them are just lifted straight from the pages of Scripture. Um, But there are a bunch of suggestions of things that you might find helpful. And my expectation is not, because I've got nine of them, my expectation is not that anyone will go away and do all nine of these things, but my prayer is that amongst these things, you'll find some new garment of clothing. Think, ah, that one. I'll have that one. I'll do that. I'll put that on, and that will be transforming for you. So here we go. Here's the first thing. Instead of greed... God will provide us with self-control. And here are some things that might help self By the way, I, the, the late, great John Stott um, used to develop his self-control by when he was offered a biscuit, not saying no, but only eating half of it. <laughs> there you go. There's a level of self-control beyond what you and I know. (laughs) It's a fruit of the Spirit. So here's a few things, three things. Um, One thing that we can do is instead of thinking ahead to how in the future we might have more money, that we can spend more money, we can set a goal to reduce our spending. That's my first suggestion. Set a goal to reduce your spending. That whatever you're spending now, that even aside from being made redundant or some other tragedy that befalls you, that forces you to spend less money, how about just setting a target of spending less money? You look excited about that one, don't you? (laughs) Just, just, uh, by the way, that in itself would demand probably that you have something called a budget. Otherwise, you won't even know whether you're spending any less money. If you don't have that level of organization in your finances, um, you might be someone like me who finds that difficult and needs help from other people to, to do it. Um, Bev will tell you, the most tetchy moment in our household each month is every month I set aside half a, a day or an evening to go through our domestic finances for the month and the rest of the family just know to keep clear because I, I hate it. I hate doing it. I hate paying that level of detailed attention to what's going on in life. Uh, some of you love doing it, and you are a blessing to others of us because you can teach and train us. If you're someone that loves that, wave a hand. I know there's a number of you. There we go. There we go. These people are a blessing to what turn out to be the majority of us. But if you have a budget, you can control your spend and set a goal to reduce your spend. Okay, a second thing, um, fasting. We are in this season of fasting um, for some people, 
some people are paying attention to Lent. Three members of the five in our household have given up chocolate, which is an interesting dynamic when others of us are eating it. Um, but that was their choice. I didn't... <laughs> I, I didn't make them do that. Uh, but beyond that... Um, Jesus said, when you fast, don't make a big hoo-ha about it. There was an assumption that people would fast. Now, I don't know what your experience is of fasting, whether you've ever fasted a meal and given that time to praying, or fasted for a day, or whatever. I want to tell you, there's, there's, an, there's like um, a whole uh, landscape, a whole... I don't know, there's loads to explore about fasting, and Lois is going to be speaking about fasting in a couple of weeks' time. But I um, just want to draw your attention to that, because God does something in that. Attempts that we make at fasting to expose our desires, that we can see them more clearly and bring about further change. So fasting is another thing. And here's a completely different thing. I'd like to suggest that if you've got a challenge with self-control around money, why don't you spend time around some people who are much, much poorer than you? One of the biggest helps to me is when I've traveled to other nations in the world where people have gotten so much less. You know, this thing can start to build up in me that I look at the home in which we live and I think I'd really like a larger one. And then go and visit people, be it in, in India or you know, Rwanda or wherever it may be, whose home isn't much bigger than our kitchen. And I come home and I feel differently. Uh, you don't have to travel to India to find people, but to connect with the, the lives of people, make friends of people who are just a lot poorer than you, find them and it will change you. Self-control. Uh, envy can be replaced by generosity. Just to be clear, generosity is not measured in pounds and pence, but again is a matter of the heart. Jesus was in the temple and he looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury, it says in Luke 21. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. And truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. It's not about being able to sign a big check. It's about giving out of what we have. So um, three things here. Number one, tip generously. Uh, if, you're, if you're in a cafe or in a restaurant, just give more money than anyone would expect you to give as a tip. Make it a habit. It's just a small thing, but it grows generosity. Secondly, and I picked this up from um, Nick Harding, who some of you might know is a, was, a, is a, was a pastor in Frontline. He always keeps 10, 20 quid in cash in his back pocket. Cash, that's an antiquated thing, isn't it? But... Um, always keeps 10 or 20 quid in his back pocket and expects, before the week is out, to have found someone to give it to. To keep cash on your person in the expectation that there will be someone to give it to and on a weekly basis. That's, I like that. Um, we were the benefit, beneficiaries of that one occasion, which is how I know about it. Um, and those of you that think a little bit bigger, what about setting an annual target for your giving? What about saying, oh, I don't know, in 2019, I want to give away to other people, and 
find an amount of money. And if that amount of money is more than you've got to give away, you might need to cut some spending, you might need to do some fundraising. I don't, you know, I don't know, run a half marathon, raise some money, get the money, give it away. Why not, set, why not set a target for how much you could give away that would be stretching and exciting and an adventure as you find a way to have more positive impact on other people than you would have thought possible? These things are all possible garments to put on. And here's the third thing. Instead of anxiety, worship. Because this is about recognizing that God is greater than all things and therefore we don't need to worry as he cares for us. Um, a few things here, two that are quite similar really. The first thing is, let's actually worship. Let's exalt God. Uh, Al McNichol and I were with someone on Friday and we were talking about some pastoral things and she said when she, had, she and her husband had once lacked money, uh, someone had, had, got, had sat them down and read out over them Psalm 23, which said, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He will, uh, it goes on to talk about him feeding us and us not wasting away. He will provide for us because he's our shepherd. And when we, ex- and what she was saying was her habit now is that whenever they are again in financial difficulty, as happens in life, they turn back to Psalm 23 and they lie there praying, Lord, you are my shepherd. I shall not be in want. And they find the provision of God comes. So there's something about worship that's powerful. Secondly, be quick to pray. When the bill comes through that you can't afford, first thing that you do is pray. Not 14th thing after you've tried everything else. Just be quick to pray. And and finally, uh, tithing is a God-given means of worshipping God. If you don't know the joys and the power of tithing, then you are missing out and I'm sorry for you, and I hope you discover it. Uh, So, there we are. Little list, off the peg clothes that you could take on. I encourage you to take a minute to look at one, and then take one away and put it on in your life.